Okay, we have just come off a four-week piece on Advent, but Advent is done. Christmas has come. And so we take these last two weeks of the year, what we did last, uh, basically the last week right now, this is the very last Sunday of 2021. Wow, what a great year to be done, right? So excited that 2021 is over. And then we actually are starting the first week of 2022. And what we do is we take both of those weeks and we do a little step back as a church family and we look at what's really important to us. Something we think was, hey, this is critical to your Christian life, and we do a little topical on that and look at how the Bible presents something super critical for you. So I'm calling this distinctions. We're going to do it for two weeks. This is the first week. We'll get partway through it this week. But, but the reason why it's a distinction is this. We use words and terms that are so central to our Christian life, and sometimes they mean something very different in the Bible from what functionally our culture has made them. Even our Christian culture. I feel like that's one of the main things sometimes that I have had to grow through personally in the Bible and in my study and in looking and praying and all the things that we do is that you realize the message of the Bible is absolutely incredible. So incredible that I start to add stuff in. I start to change the meaning of words. I start to stretch things because, because I, I, I can't hardly believe that it's actually true. So you've got to make distinctions. You've got to know what you mean when you say words. And we looked at that with the Advent words we looked at, right? Hope is not just a wish that we wish Jesus will come back. Hope is assurance. It's this steady anchor of your soul because we are confident that Jesus Christ has paid it all. Peace isn't just a, a, a warm feeling. It's actually a right relationship with God. You can go on and on, right, with this using words particularly and concepts that are super important. Perhaps nowhere is the accuser of us more active than in how you actually are in Christ. So the words that, that we love, words like repentance and faith are under attack all the time. So today I want to come back. I want you to be so solid on hearing what the Bible says of being in Christ that it starts to affect even how you see other people and yourself. And this is around this idea of repentance. On believing. And when I say repentance, most people are like, just a tiny bit of ooh. Have I really repented? I'm not so sure. I, I'm not giving a clear distinction on what the word means. So the Bible is so amazing, but really, you got to know this one: repentance. What an amazing thing it is! <laughs> one of the key things you must do to be saved. And again, as soon as I say that, I know some of you will be going like, "Oh, I wonder if I've done that, or well, can I do it right, or did I do it this morning, or am I walking in repentance?" And and then these things start going right. And why do I say it's so important? Well, look, this is Paul on Mars Hill, the Aragopolis, saying, "In the times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. <laughs> all people everywhere." Repent, right? Here's Jesus in Luke talking of that tower that had fallen over on people. And, and, and he says, no, no, I'm, I'm telling you, he says it twice. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Wow. 
So that hits my heart. It hits my soul. I, I, I start thinking of sinners in the hands of an angry God. And, and, and I start thinking, wow, this is a bummer of a closing sermon for 2021. No. But it's true, right? Unless you repent, you perish. Even Mark's gospel here, look at this one. It says, that this is John the Baptist. He came, right? John the Baptist was baptizing people, the baptism of repentance. And it says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so I, I, I don't think I need to prove anymore from the Bible. You need to repent. I need to repent. But this is the question I have for you because I use that word. You keep using that word. Does it mean what you think it means? What's Repentance. What is it? Because it's come to mean something a little bit like this. Can I frame it and see if this resonates with you? It's come to mean remorse over your sin. I'm really sad that I sinned. And turning away from it, stopping your bad behavior and doing some good behavior, paying back all the people that you've harmed to show that you really mean it. That's called restitution, and a lot of times people put that together with repentance, right? You repent by stopping doing sin, and so now you're doing good things and not sin, and you're showing you're penitent. You do hear penitent in there? Repent. Repentant. I'm penitent. I'm I'm wanting to make it right. I'm doing something to prove I've really changed. And and then this concept of remorse gets in there because it's about your heart, too. I feel bad. And penance to help offset the evil that I've done. So, so there's this thing together. I mean, and, and people go, go to town on this stuff. They say hey, remorse is really good because it shows that you regret your sin. But repentance is even more because it means you're going to change. Have you heard that? I heard one pastor who's given an example along these lines. He said, it's like the policeman. You hear the siren goes off on the freeway and your heart drops. And you get pulled over for speeding. And the, the policeman comes out. Sorry if you're a policeman. You know, they're just doing their job, but you feel remorse because you got caught. I regret that. I wish I didn't do it, you know, but, but actually this is the analogy that someone gives. He says, but, but repentance is different. It means you, you, you promise and you know that you're never going to speed again. You change. Have you heard this? Perhaps you even think this. Perhaps you work at naming your specific sins every day, earnestly saying you're sorry, thinking about how bad they are, making restitution to others, trying now to do good things. And, and, and this, you say, is repentance because you've got to repent in order to go to heaven. That's just the Bible, right? It, you know what it has to feel of for me? That I grew up this way, and it feels a lot like a New Year's, Eve, New Year's resolution. It's like, I've been doing really bad this year, but I'm going to resolve. Kind of the Jonathan Edwards idea, I've made a resolution. I resolve to do better. If I was a different person, I'd say maybe it's like waking up after you drunk too much the night before. I regret that a lot. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I'm not going to do that anymore. That kind of idea, right? The weight of sadness over having let your kid down, your spouse down, or both, or, or the big boss in the sky down. And, 
promising you're not going to do it again. So that, 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 what I just described to you right there, is what repentance was to me growing up. Many years of thinking that's what repentance was. It has taken years and years to realize that's not repentance. Let me be bold. That's not repentance. Not according to the Bible. That's not what Paul and Jesus and John the Baptist all refer to when they speak of repentance. The word repentance, right, is a combination of two Greek words. Meta and noio. It's change your mind. That, that's, I mean, there's, there's, there's a variation on that, and there's, there's one more descriptor of that of what Judas did. But when Judas did it, they don't use that word, metanoio. They use a different word. So when you hear repentance that you need to do to go to heaven, and you need to repent, it's talking about changing your mind. It's the easiest idea of repentance you have. You have to change your mind and believe. So there is a path change, right? There's something that changes if you repent. But the thing that's interesting is immediately, I think, it's from sinning to not sinning. It's about changing my behavior. That, that's where I'm going all the time, right? But, and is that true? Or might it be something totally different? Which is what? Finding salvation in a different spot than you did before. So you thought salvation was this way. And it says you've got to change your mind and think that it's this way. Oh, and by the way, when you change your mind, you need to believe because that's this way. Then the issue becomes, well, what am I changing my mind from? Right? We're talking about what repentance is. And it's not, I'm going to find my sins and I'm going to work on getting each one off of my plate so they're gone, so my plate is clean. Instead, it's this idea of I am on a pathway thinking I'm trying to get to heaven with God and I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to repent. And I'm going to think it's another way. I would say to you, that's what repentance is, Right? So, so look with me, even right here. This is the message of John the Baptist. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. That means Jesus is here, John the Baptist is saying, right? Christ has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. If the idea is that John the Baptist is getting after was stop sinning and do good stuff, how is that compatible? And believe the whole framework is, you guys, Jesus is here. It's time to turn to him. Repent. Trust him. Do you see how that's the context of what's going on in the Bible? It's not saying repent and start doing good stuff. Repent and be a better person than you were in the past. Repent and somehow grow towards more godlike behavior. That's just not the Bible. <laughs> That could be you saying that. That could be some guy down the street saying that. That could be me saying that. It's not God, is it? But let me show you some more. This Again, Paul in chapter 19 of Acts says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So what was repentance? It was this idea of you're going to trust Jesus. That's what repentance is. They're that tightly clothed together, right? This is that, that thing there. This is the baptism of repentance. What? Telling you to believe in Christ. 
Or, here's Luke that we'll go through in a minute, but I just you have to see that this repentance is turning. What people have traditionally believed, and maybe you've been all this way your whole life, and, and I have been for a long time, is I really think that the whole piece of what's going on is God repenting me is me becoming a better person, personally. There's a word for that. It's called self-righteousness. That me, I, myself, I'm going to, in myself, be better. And, and we... we We've made self-righteousness into a bad thing. Man, it's not good. That's a self-righteous person. That's bad. No, but we all the time are trying to be better people. If I'm trying to be a better person and I'm trying to be the best I can be, I'm working on my goodness. That's just self-righteousness. We do it all the time. We train our kids in it. I want them to fit into society. Society works this way. It works in the area of being a good person, of, of self-righteousness, and, and that's the pathway everybody's on, Christian and non-Christian alike. We all have this bombarded at us all the time. Of, well, well, are you a good person? <laughs> Just last week, I was talking about someone who had had a failing, and the person I was talking to was, yeah, but they're a really good person. He's a good guy. He's working on his troubles and, and working out of them. You know, he's, oh, wait, I could say he's repenting. That's not what this is talking about, right? When Paul said that, that I'm telling you to repent, I'm telling you to turn and trust somebody else than trusting your own way. We don't sometimes cover it like that. We are a little more nuanced in how we're going to say it. But at the end of the day, we, almost all of us, we're about ourselves being better. We work on our self-righteousness. We consider that to be our turning. So what is repentance? It's turning, right? It's turning from the system that you have of yourself and self-righteousness to trusting Jesus. And you say, well, of course I'm going to trust Jesus and not me. No, but that's this almost daily thing you're doing is you're, because it's bombarding you all the time because your flesh is alive and well. And, and it's, it's like the whole thing, I think it was Tolian totally Chavidian said, hey, your, your old man is drowned, but, but he's a really good swimmer. So he pops back up and you constantly taking in these things and, and you say, man, I'm, I'm going to turn. What are you turning to? I'm turning to trust Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. That's the turn. That's the change of mind. That's repentance. If you don't get that, if you don't repent, what you must do, if you don't repent, you stay on the path of self-righteousness, you're going to come to God and say, hey, look at the good life that I lived. You know, I was way better than that guy over there. You might even say it like that. You might even say, Lord, thanks for making me such a great person and doing such great deeds through me. What's that called? Self-righteousness. We get caught in it all the time. So again, I, I just it's so important that you see that we are telling people to believe in the one who was to come of Jesus Christ instead of thinking of our tithing and our good behavior and our stopping our sin. Of that's going to be marks of how great we are. Instead, the Savior's coming and we're trusting him. And so we must repent. And that's just saying you must have your eyes opened. You must be born again. You must turn from the path that you're on to the path of the gospel of Jesus. And if you get this, it will change your life. 
because it breaks you of this pathway of self-righteousness and you would get to Jesus. We're not cleaning ourselves up with a little help from God. If so, you're not doing a good enough job. I'm not either. Okay, I want to show you actually in a couple things that to show that Jesus himself is very clear and clean and pushy on this. Then he told parables about it. We're going to hit one this week and one next week. But the one we're hitting this week is Luke 18. It's one of my favorites. In Luke 18, Jesus is telling a story. And he tells a story to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and so treated others with contempt. So this idea of, of this evaluation going on, we're making an evaluation. I'm looking at me versus looking at you. And I start thinking, you know what? I'm doing pretty good and you're doing pretty crappy. Pardon the language. If only you were like me. Sometimes this is flipped the other way, by the way. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm such a terrible person and they're so good over there. I wish I was like them. I wish I had their money or their life or their goodness. Maybe if I try harder, something like that. So it could go either way. But, but here he's telling particularly people who think that they're good. That's what righteous means. It just means goodness. So he tells this parable. It's one you know probably, but let's look at it together. So verse 10 of chapter 18, he says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. So one of these men is a lawkeeper and a follower of the law of Moses. The other one is a traitor to his people. I can't, you, can't, you can't miss this. It's like tax collector says, oh, well, he, he does people's taxes. No, no, he was the extorter, right? You, they, were, they were given a, a, a thing where they could take money from people, and they could take money. They had to give some of it to the government there the Roman government, but anything in excess they took, they got to keep. So they would like extort people and take their stuff. They were traitors to their own nation. They're not good people. He robs the poor. I have an idea already of what needs to happen in this parable as Jesus starts to give it to me. Here's my idea. My idea, you've got the law keeper and the student and the student in the Bible, and maybe he's got some things wrong, but he's, so he may have to clean up some. But then you've got this tax collector who's a traitor and a robber of the poor. That guy needs to repent. I'm glad you're going to talk about repentance, Dax, because the guy that needs to repent is the bad guy that needs to get good. That's our whole thinking about repentance. He needs to stop being a traitor and an extortioner and turn into a lawkeeper, obedient to the laws of Moses, like the Ten Commandments, which he's not doing. So here's the parable. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, even, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Well, that's good, right? If you hadn't read this before, I think you would like this prayer. I think the people hearing that would be like, yeah. Why? Because it fits my funny understanding, my wrong understanding, my misunderstanding of repentance. 
right? Because this then is an example of somebody in that wrong way of thinking who has repented. He sees the extortioners and the unjust and the adulterers and the sinners, and he has turned away from them. There's that turn. Turned away from the badness of those poor people over there and turned towards doing good, tithing, fasting, thanking God for making him good. He's no legalist. Legalists would be like, I'm going to earn my way to heaven, and God, I hope I've done good enough. No. He says, God, thank you that you've made me a good person. He's repented of being like that trash over there, and now he does acts of obedience. He fasts and gives. This is, if you've heard of lordship salvation, there's a little bit of this in that. Lord, I'm showing you, I'm thanking you, that I've really made a change, you know. I get it. A model of repentance as I understood it when I was younger. Maybe you're there too. Then there's this evil guy. But the tax collector, standing far off, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, that's good too. I like that. He shouldn't lift up his eyes to heaven. (laughs) Guy like that. He can't get close because he doesn't deserve to get close to God. At least he knows he's a sinner, right? He cries out for mercy. He uses the word for the mercy seat there. It's a big word. It's like, oh, God, that you would cover me. I have nothing. And at first blush, though, what doesn't this look like according to my original definition, which is repentance is changing from being bad to being good? This isn't repentance. Where's the change, Swanson? If it was repentance as I grew up thinking it was repentance, it would be something along the lines of, I promise I will abandon being an evil tax collector and now I will fast and give tithes and I will follow your law, O God. I will do my best. That's what I'm kind of expecting to hear. Doesn't seem good enough. Sure, he feels remorse at his sin, but where's the action? Where's the promise not to do the sin anymore? Where's the obedience of restitution for his sin? Where's the real acknowledgement that his sin is horrible? What will he do in penitence to not sin anymore? It really has none of that, right? I mean, this is Jesus telling a story. He's making a point. What he does is he sees his sin and he asks for mercy it's okay to say that I mean it's a really short statement he, he wouldn't lift up his eyes he sees how horrible he is he says God, God cover me please in your mercy wait a minute wait a minute doesn't that just kind of perfectly fit the actual definition of repentance that we've established now I changed my mind. Instead of buying my salvation or earning my salvation or bargaining of God from a position of his own ability, this guy sees he's got nothing. That's the change of mind. There's a God, and if I'm going to have any hope, it's only in his mercy. It's a turn from self-righteousness or any hope of self-righteousness to God saying, God, I just need you or I'm done. That, that, that's repentance. 
That's a turn from self-righteousness to mercy from God. And so we've got these two types of repentance right here. We've got the one guy saying, yeah, I've, I've changed. Look at my change and I thank you, God, for it. We've got the other guy just saying, I'm such a sinner and I need mercy. And those represent two kinds of repentance, you know. I tell you, Jesus says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see? The Pharisee, the one who's changed his mind from sin to obedience, from self-wrong to self-right, to advancement of his obedience legally and under the law, this man is not justified. And justified just means good, you know. Righteous. He is not saved, and that is not repentance. Remember, unless you repent, you'll perish. And that kind of repentance, the move from bad you to good you, that change from personal pathway that's essentially trying to keep the rules when before you didn't, you can do that, but that's not what you need to be in Christ. That's not it, right? Not even by the power of God. It's not legalism we're talking about, self-improvement, self-obedience, and an external get-rid-of-sin kind of way. That's what we're talking about. The Pharisee thanks God for doing that for him. And instead, the tax collector, and here's the wonder of repentance and the beauty of trust. This is repent and believe. Because he abandons all hope in himself, in his doing right, in his following the law, and he just accepts that he hasn't. The gap is too great, the reclamation project too impossible, and he pleads for mercy from the only one who can give it as a gift. And Jesus says, that one goes away righteous, good, justified. You know the acronym for that, right? Just as if I'd never sinned. I mean, think about it just for a second, will you, with me? Because this, your, your, this is your life. I want to get rid of my sin. There's only a couple ways that can happen. One way is I work hard at it, and I struggle at it, and I fight against it, and I get over it. The other way is I trust Jesus. There's only two ways. Those are them. If you have that desire of getting rid of sin, then, then here's, here's the way. That man is justified. Why? By the mercy of God. And then that justified isn't, I don't really like that just as if I'd never sinned because it's better than that. It doesn't mean God just doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. It means he gives you goodness, righteousness of Jesus. That's the whole thing of Christ is he gives you his righteousness that he bought for you on the cross. That's a crazy thing that you've got to see about the tax collector. You've got to see it. He doesn't change his actions. He doesn't, not in this story. Jesus is telling a story. He's telling the parts of the story that are important for you to hear. He's leaving out things that he doesn't want you to focus on. And so he doesn't want you to focus on a change in the tax collector's behavior. Right? The guy goes away justified. He doesn't even know it necessarily, but he is, in the eyes of God, the only thing that matters. And he hasn't changed. He's not now not a tax collector anymore. He hasn't now started tithing and fasting. He hasn't now done, we want him to. We want to send him up the next week. This really neat pastor, he, he's dead now, um, Robert Capon. And he said, what we want to do is we want to send this 
this tax collector, we want to bring him back the next week or the week after or two months later. We want him to come up and now we want him to pray. Well, what is he going to pray? We're going to have him pray the Pharisee's prayer. Lord, thank you. I was a tax collector, but now I follow your law. I tithe and I fast and I do good. Thank you, Lord, for making me good and saving me out of this pit of horror that all these other people are in in our society. We call that repentance. Jesus says, no way. That's not it. That guy's not even justified. It's just mind-blowing. It really is for you to sink into these things that when the king of heaven comes to earth and he is proclaimed as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he is the bread of life and the way and the truth of the life and when he goes to the cross and he dies and then you think, well, I'll clean up because he did that, you are deluded. When you think of it, what you need, he paid for me. Stop. I will no longer think that I am paying for myself. I will no longer think that I'm paying him back by being a good kid. I will no longer think there's a pathway for me at all. I will receive this gift. I abandon my own way. I receive his mercy from the seat where his blood is poured out for me. I don't understand why we refuse to believe this, but I know we do because I do too. It grieves my heart for so many who are in bondage that what we do is we start to expect people to increase in what? Self-righteousness. We expect Christians to be the cleaned up ones, the ones who stop sinning and start doing good things, who don't need Jesus anymore because he forgave their sin and now he's made them good people instead of bad people. We tear people away from the cross from real repentance. Repentance, right? A change of mind about how we're saved, not by our works in any way, but only by the incredible mercy of Jesus, by his blood and his forgiveness and his righteousness forever. And if you don't get this, you will be stuck. You'll be no different than any other religious person in this world of many religions because because we all love self-righteousness and self-improvement. Only the Christian says, you know what? It's not about your improvement at all. It's not about your good behavior. It is about the gift of God in Christ. And this news is so radical, we don't really want to accept it. We send ourselves back up the hill, having received mercy, and now now shaking our head at other people's sins. And we pray that Pharisee's prayer ourselves. Here's Paul as we, we finish. Paul says, I've got nothing. I've got no righteousness of my own. There's nothing in me. It says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the rules, the law, but that which comes through trusting in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on trust, on faith. What's the faith about? It's about trusting Jesus actually died for you and you'll get his goodness. I shared this before. I was in a big church. I helped with baptisms. People were not allowed to be baptized unless they could say how bad they were, what they prayed to accept Jesus, 
And then they showed how their lives had gotten better. And so you would get up in front of the church and you would say, I was a terrible chain smoker. My eyes got open to the wonder of Jesus. And now I haven't smoked for two and a half months. I'm ready to be baptized. What in the world? You improved in your self-righteousness, so it's time to be baptized? Instead, what is it? I've received the amazing gift of God in Christ. He died for me. I trust him. I used to think that cleaning up and not smoking anymore would make God happy with me. But now I know that the gap is so huge, the chasm is so wide, that there's nothing I could ever do. I've received this gift of God in Christ, and I want to die with him and be raised with him and put my trust in his resurrection forever. Yeah, that's a little different. That's who we are. This is about a free gift by mercy. And when you change your mind, when you repent about how salvation happens in Christ alone, all of a sudden you see people differently. You start to live a different life. Freedom happens. Transparency happens. Unity with people who are still sinners and they don't think rightly about their own sin. Because you found a treasure. It is the mercy of God. He loves you. He treasures you. He treasures your neighbor too. So you, I want to walk you through this thing. This is why it's week one. Because you say, hey, that's great, Dax. I get a better understanding of what repentance actually is. But as you walk away from the other kind of wrong thinking about repentance, there are things that start to come up in your Christian life. Things about freedom and transparency and unity. But also the questions. And so things like, boy, if Christianity isn't about getting rid of personal sin, then what are we thinking about? The answer is forgiveness, and it's radical. And say, well, what do I do with my daily sin? The answer is confession and receiving the reality of absolution from God in Christ. We need to talk about that. Well, well, shouldn't I think about improvements at all? You know, I, yeah, you should, but realize you're seeing Christianity as death to resurrection, not as improved life and self-righteousness. That makes a difference makes a difference in what you think about, what you care about, as the law continues to condemn you, and so you're repented daily. As you see that, you see, oh man, I have no hope. But what? But Jesus. God does that for us. He loves us. Because the gospel declares it is finished. And I declare that to you today. It is finished. Have you repented? You changed your mind about how you're going to get to this God and turned and trusted Jesus alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. We don't deserve you. Lord, and I pray for those gathered here, for those at home, as we think about these big things, Lord, help us to understand your truth, that our only hope is in your mercy. Lord, we put our trust in you, We put our legs in your basket. Forgive us, Father, that we try and steal them back. But our own righteousness. Help us to love the sinner because we see ourselves as that too, except in you, Jesus. We're so amazed at what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.